0: Hello, this is Andy and you're listening to Federal Andy. Episode 100. Hey, we're at 100, y'all. Hey, everyone. It's Andy. Welcome to episode number 100. Can you believe it? I know I can't, and this is about my 100th attempt to do this episode. Not really, but (laughs) seems like it. I actually had planned on doing an episode about me just to tell you a little bit about who I am and how I came to be the person I am today, for better or for worse, and the things that happened during my life that have shaped my current political attitudes. I had put it off initially because I thought to myself that if the podcast didn't work out, if I didn't have listeners, if I didn't have subscribers, nobody would care who I was. And now I feel like I probably ought to share a little bit about myself. But as i have mentioned in earlier episodes if you want to hear the things that you say and do when you are speaking that are annoying do a podcast because all of that comes out and if you want to realize how difficult it is to talk about yourself to tell people who you are try to do an about me episode on a podcast. I started yesterday and <laughs> I realized that it's really difficult to talk about yourself because I don't know that I've actually done anything in my life that's exceptionally notable. If you're a celebrity and you know a lot of important people and you've done a lot of Important fun things in your life that people will be able to identify with and are, would be interested in. That's one thing, but I know there are some people that like to hear about other people's lives, but it's hard to talk about your life. And in doing this, I realized I was in the middle of something, and it occurred to me while I'm speaking that this is not going to make any sense because in order to understand what I'm talking about now, you also need to know about something else that happened previously that I have not talked about. So I had to stop, go back, fill in that big hole, and then go back to the story I was telling. And it just becomes it becomes like a mini-series. So I thought, well, I'll just keep doing this and work my way through it, and then I'll go back and try to edit and fill in blanks. And when I reached the two-hour mark, I thought, this is ridiculous. This is out of control. So I've saved the recordings I'm not sure what I'm going to do with them, if anything. Maybe at some point down the road, I will do an expanded version that's about me. But for the 100th episode, I thought I would just tell you some basic things and focus on the political side so that you maybe could understand how I came to be Federal Andy. And I'll start by explaining how I came up with Federal Andy. I was looking for a name and originally wanted to do Citizen Andy because of the Orson Welles movie, Citizen Kane. But I found that Citizen Andy had already kind of been used in a few places and I didn't really want to be Citizen Andy too or something like that. So, I thought, well, this is going to be about politics. Politics is uh, about the federal government, and I thought Federal Andy. So, that's how I came up with the name. It's not because I have any admiration for the Federalist Society, which is a extreme right-wing conservative organization. And (laughs) I guess I haven't really been all that involved in politics throughout my life. When I was young, I really didn't pay attention to politics at all. My parents were both Republicans. My father remained a Republican throughout his life. My mother began to become more liberal toward the end of her life. She died when she was in her 40s. She was murdered, shot in our home. And I was a teenager at the time and was confronted by the murderer shortly after he killed my mother. And that's a that's a story that I have not told yet, but I will at some point. It can be difficult for me to, to discuss at times. I kind of have to be in the right frame of mind to talk about it. But needless to say, that horrific event in my life at a relatively young age has definitely impacted my attitude on guns and gun ownership in the United States. And I would say that that is probably the main impetus for me to do a podcast because I felt like somebody needed to speak up on my mother's behalf. And she's not here to do it anymore because somebody decided it was time to end her life. And nobody else seemed to be interested to speak up on her behalf. And I thought, well, I feel it needs to be done. And I'm the one that's going to have to do it. And that's why I started speaking up. For many years, I didn't talk about this event. And a lot of people that knew me and people that I worked with had no idea that this had happened. But it doesn't do any good to not talk about it because I feel it's an important issue and it's one that we need to address as a country and as a society. So growing up, the first political event that I can remember is... I kind of remember a little bit about the Cuban Missile Crisis, but I was really young at that point, so there is not a lot of clarity. It's just very foggy stuff. I kind of remember sitting, we had a TV room in our house and black and white television. I remember sitting in there with mom and dad, and the TV was on, and I remember. That there was something that seemed serious because it wasn't just the regular night nightly activities, but I don't remember that much about it. I do remember when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I remember that very well, and I have discussed that in an episode I believe that was recorded probably around november twenty second of twenty twenty two when it was the anniversary of his Assassination. After that, I remember the Vietnam War because it was on the nightly news every night. And back then, the media, it seems, was more inclined to show graphic images on the news, on TV. I remember seeing things that were disturbing i didn't like seeing the destruction and the devastation and the terrified people and people crying because they lost loved ones and that includes soldiers american soldiers that went over there the uh uh, neighbors that lived down the street from us they were down quite a ways and across the street had a son that went off to fight in the vietnam war back in the would have been in the late 60s and he was killed and i remember when that happened and they had a uh i guess some sort of a get together at the parents house after the funeral and there were lots of cars around the house and people dressed in you know dark clothes and I remember asking my mom what was going on because some of the cars were like <laughs> down the street kind of in front of our house and mom said that that their son had been killed in Vietnam and I remember being outside playing and people walking back to their cars to leave crying and and stuff so That kind of left an impression on me, and I knew that I didn't like war or the pain that it inflicted on people. After that, the next big thing that I really remember politically is Spiro Agnew, Richard Nixon's Vice President, who was apparently a thug, and I just remember that he had to resign rather abruptly because he had done some things that were bad, committed some crimes, and then of course, not long after that, all of the Watergate stuff started, and I thought, huh, well, I don't think I'm too impressed with the Nixon administration. And of course Watergate was on TV, the hearings. I remember John Dean and his wife sitting there behind him and you could see she kind of had a uh, an expressionless face. She didn't really <laughs> she didn't really react to anything. I can remember Martha Mitchell being on television and in magazines and things like that. And she was, you know, she was kind of a loud mouth. But I knew that there were a lot of people involved in the Nixon administration that were corrupt, breaking the law, and I didn't like that. I thought being at the top in our government, you have a lot of responsibility, you have a lot of power, And I just felt like they should be honest and they should do what is best for the country at large and not what's best for themselves and their cronies. And I learned that that wasn't the case. I remember that my mother, my younger brother and I were visiting my maternal grandmother in August of 1974 when Nixon resigned. I recall that that was the headline in the newspaper. And so that was another one of those, you'll always remember where you were and who you were with and what you were doing when this thing happened. And then Gerald Ford came in and... Pardoned Nixon. And I thought, what? (laughs) I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. I thought that was wrong. I felt like you should not make exceptions for people just because they're wealthy or just because they're powerful. And this was, I was young when this happened, but uh, it was in my early teens. And I thought, uh, this is wrong and that left me with a bad impression of republicans because i had seen the scene what i had i, I hate saying scene i hate it when people use that word i had i had been there and i had watched the nixon administration basically decompose before the world Sparrow Agnew, Richard Nixon, all the corruption and the crimes, and then Ford comes in and pardons? Uh Uh-uh. No. So, (laughs) Jimmy Carter, I thought was a pretty decent guy. I remember the uh, Iran hostage situation. What I didn't know at that point, of course, was that Richard Nixon had committed treason in 1968 when he was running for president. And I didn't know that Jimmy Carter was close to getting the hostages released right before the election. And he was, of course, running to have a second term as president and Ronald Reagan, who had been the governor of California at one time and was a, an actor at one point, was running against Carter as as the Republican. Carter, of course, was a Democrat. And didn't know at the time that the hostages would have been released by Iran if Ronald Reagan hadn't gotten involved and delayed their release so that he would have a better chance of winning the election, which he did. And of course, immediately, (laughs) the hostages were released. My, my, what a coincidence. So here you've got two Republican presidents who committed treason in their attempt to become president. Not a good endorsement of the Republican Party. And then Ronald Reagan started his stuff. He came in and talked about government was the problem, it's not the solution. You can't depend on government. And I wasn't political at this point, I just picked this stuff up because it was out in the news and friends were talking about it. And I thought to myself, why is this guy in politics, if he hates government this much, why would you take a job that you hate? And of course, then he started in with cutting taxes, which didn't have much of an impact on me at the time. I do remember when he closed all of the mental health facilities because I remember having conversations with friends. And I recall that I was very concerned about the fact that these people who needed healthcare were essentially being tossed into the street because where are they gonna go? They're either gonna have to move back in with family or they're gonna have to try to make it on their own dealing with mental health issues on top of everything else or (laughs) what they're just going to be literally tossed onto the street i didn't like that i thought that that was a poor solution i didn't like the comments that he would make that seemed racist to me about the people who would get food stamps And then they would go out and get in their brand new Cadillac and drive home. And uh, just some of the things he said had a very racist tone to them, in my opinion. And I had some friends who were black, African-American. And, you know, they were kind (laughs) of, they didn't really say a lot, but you could tell that they were kind of like, what's he talking about? And of course, now we know that that's not true, because the way he would word these things would insinuate it was a black person. I think he well, I'm not going to say what he said, but because it, it's offensive, but it, it was it was wrong. And then the next thing that I recall is I, I worked with a a woman by the name. Her name was Donna. I've actually worked with a couple of of females named Donna. And her husband was an air traffic controller. And Donna was a very up person. She was very happy. She had kids and she had some problems. She had some health problems. But she was always one of those people when they came in in the morning, they had a smile on their face. They were happy to see you. And they made you feel better. Donna comes in. To work one morning, and it's just the two of us in the office, and she's crying. And I thought, "Oh my gosh, are you okay?" And she said, "She couldn't even hardly talk." And she said, "I, I just need to, I just need to go in the office for a minute, and I'll, I'll get it together." And I said, "Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll leave you alone." So she went into the office, closed the door. And she was in there for a while and I thought, I, I, I felt like I didn't want to intrude. I didn't want to be nosy, but if she needed something, I would be happy to help. So I knocked on the door and she said, come in. And I opened the door and I said, I don't mean to intrude. Is, is, do you need some coffee or is there anything I can get you? And she said, no, 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 I'm fine. She said, I'll get it together here. And I said, that's fine, take all the time you need, but if you need to talk to someone or if there's anything I can do, let me know if you want me to butt out, I will do that. I'm not gonna, I just want you to know I'm here if you need anything. And she said that she appreciated that and and, uh, uh, she said, come on in and sit down. And she explained to me that her husband was an air traffic controller and that he had just been fired by the president. (laughs) And I was like, why was he fired? And she went into it a little bit. And I thought, well, that doesn't seem fair. Why is he against unions? And, you know, anyway, on top of that, she had been to see her doctor the day before and had been told that she had cancer again, that it had returned. And she said, so I'm now concerned about needing to have surgery. And my husband has lost his job. I'm not sure if his insurance is going to be able to cover this. And she said, she started to cry again. And she said, I told the doctor this time to just put in a damn zipper so she'd had surgery before, and, uh, you know, I just felt so bad for her, and I was angry that Reagan would do that, because I'm sure that she wasn't the only person that was impacted that way, but he didn't seem to care, and I suggested to her that she might check our insurance to see if it would cover her surgery and and she did and i believe that she said it would it would cover it so that was a little bit of a relief but still her husband needed to go find a job and i thought that that was not what a president should be doing and then the iran contra stuff started to come up and i thought to myself this is a stinky dirty deal. And I kept thinking Watergate and Nixon and Agnew. I didn't like it. And I was beginning to develop a very negative impression of the Republican Party as being very corrupt and dishonest and un-American. And then, of course, George H.W. Bush Daddy Bush, Reagan's vice president for eight years, becomes president. And he just wants to make the Iran-Contra stuff go away, so he pardons everybody. And I thought, here we are again, a bunch of corrupt Republicans being pardoned by another corrupt Republican. So again, that's just another notch on the post for the Republicans, and I thought, they're just climbing all the way down into the gutter here. Then we had a little bit of a recession during Daddy Bush's um, term in office, and I remember he was kind of denying that we were having a recession but at that point, I was out in the business world. I was dealing with bankers and investors. I was working for a property uh, it was a property developer that had a management arm, and we dealt with residential and commercial. And I was at the flagship property for the entire company. At the time, the company I worked for was one of the largest developers in the country. And I had a one of the partners for the, the company was in the part of the country where I, I had, had relocated. And I was meeting lots of important people. And sometimes these folks would show up without anybody from the company accompanying them. They would show up on their own They weren't being secretive, but they wanted to see what was really going on without notice. And so I had to, I learned how to deal with them and what I could and couldn't say and things like that. And uh, I could tell that things were slowing down. I had bankers come out and they would say, yeah, you know, things are definitely slowing down. But you wouldn't know it from what President Bush was saying. And... I thought, this guy is either lying to everybody or he's an idiot. And I didn't like that. And at that point, that was when I decided that I probably needed to actually get involved in politics. I really needed to engage. I suppose I should be thankful to Daddy Bush for finally providing me with the incentive that I needed to go out and register to vote. Up to that point, my experience with politics was mostly viewed from the Republican point of view because my father was a Republican. He wasn't terribly political but he did vote and he did listen to right-wing radio all the time so that was kind of my perspective thankfully i did work with a young lady for a while who was very political she was very very progressive she was very concerned about the environment i'm sure that people on the right would probably call her a tree hugger, tree hugging liberal. (laughs) And she was about as liberal as you could get. And we would talk about politics and stuff. Uh, I remember talking to her about the, uh, well, the space shuttle Challenger when it exploded. I was at work that morning and shortly after that, I kind of ran into her and we talked about that and the politics of NASA and space exploration and, you know, things like that. But she would ask me what I thought about things that were going on and I would tell her what I knew about them and she would I would ask her what she thought. Because I respected her opinion. She was a very, very smart young lady, and she had a very good head on her shoulders, and I, I really cared about what she thought about things. And so Daddy Bush was kind of the last straw for me. I did not like the fact that he was trying to cover up crimes again. Not the first time I had seen that. And I didn't like that the first time. And I certainly didn't like it the second time. So I registered. I had received in the mail a few years before this a Young Republicans membership card with my name on it and everything, and a letter from the Republican National Committee welcoming me as a young Republican, and I thought, where did this come from? Because I hadn't filled out anything, hadn't asked for anything. I don't know if my dad uh, gave them my name. I never really thought to ask him. I remember I kind of laid it there on my dresser for a while, and I kind of pondered how they got my name and everything. And then I recall thinking about it and I thought, eh, I'm not going to be a Republican. I don't like what they've done. And so I threw it in the trash. Fiscally, I am a conservative. I think the government ought to be uh, frugal with taxpayer money. And I think that the money that goes to... The money that we provide to people should go to people who actually need it. I don't like the subsidies to the fossil fuel industry which they have bought and paid for. I think that all of that money should go to help people who need help with medical costs, housing, things like that. Why are we subsidizing Fossil fuel companies that are earning billions of dollars in net profits every quarter. No, thank you. That's stupid and that's corrupt, in my opinion. So, I'm fiscally conservative, socially more liberal. I think the government needs to stay out of people's bedrooms. I think that the government needs to allow people to do what they want to do as long as they're not hurting anyone else. I don't think it's anybody's business uh, who you're sleeping with or who you want to marry. I don't think it's the government's business whether or not you have a baby. Um, I think if you are in politics, you should be held to a higher standard than you would hold an ordinary American citizen. And that means you should not be allowed to lie to your constituents. I think there should be a penalty for that, sanctions or something. And if you get caught often enough lying, then I think you ought to be expelled from Congress. I think that ought to be illegal. There needs to be some sort of process in place where a Republican who lies or a Democrat or just a politician who lies about something needs to be called out on it and they need to issue a retraction or clarification or something. And today, all they do is, is they lie and they get away with it because the media very often doesn't call them out on their lies. And I think that's wrong. And because they're in politics, they've got a staff. Taxpayers pay for staff. And if they have a question about the legality of something, they have attorneys and stuff who can advise them. So they have no excuse to not know. They have access to people who can tell them quickly what is and is not legal, what is and is not correct, and that's something that ordinary Americans don't always have. And I've always been told ignorance of the law is not an excuse, but yet it seems to be if you're a politician, doesn't it? So I think there's a double standard, and I think that needs to change. So when I registered to vote, I registered as an independent Because despite the fact that I loved my father and respected him and admired him as a person, I felt that his political beliefs were just unacceptable. So I was an independent. And I will tell you, the first time I remember voting may have... I don't remember. It might have been something local, but I do remember voting in the presidential election when George H.W. Bush was running for a second term against, he was the Republican against Bill Clinton. And then um, who was that guy? (laughs) Gosh, I just thought of his name. And now that I want to mention it, I can't think of it. Anyway, yeah, there was another guy, an in independent, uh, and I can't, I just completely forgot his name. It'll come to me later after I'm finished with this episode. Um. Anyway, I, he was the one who uh, kind of acted like he thought that the country ought to be run like a business. And... You know, that uh kind of made sense to me in a way. He was uh a successful businessman, but he had acted kind of <laughs> weird during the campaign. Okay, I stopped for a second to look up the name because I was trying to remember it while I was talking, and that's when I say stupid things. and they're all being recorded, and then I listen to this stuff later, and I think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. Or I mispronounced a word, or I said the wrong... I don't know. Anyway, I just went to check, of course, and the person that was running against Bush and Clinton was Ross Perot. And... He had been a successful businessman in the past, but he was a little, like I said, flaky. And he had dropped out at one point after he announced his candidacy and started running. And then he decided to drop out. And then he decided he was going to run again. And I thought, okay, this guys he's, he's, yeah, not very stable. and he spent like $65 million of his own money on his campaign. But the thing I liked about him was he was against the North American free trade agreement. And both George H.W. Bush, the Republican incumbent, and Bill Clinton, the Democrat, supported the North American Free Trade Agreement. And I remember talking to my dad about that and asked him to explain to me how America could compete with these other countries when wages were lower and the cost of living was lower and there were different standards for safety. And I said, it's just not a level playing field. How can America be competitive And how does this benefit the country? And at the time, we had a family business that was very successful, doing very well. And we dealt with manufacturers around the country. And I thought, this just sounds like it's not gonna be good. And of course, we now know it wasn't a good choice. No, it was bad. So, yes, I voted for Ross Perot because I did not like the Republicans at all, including especially H.W. Bush, George H.W. Bush. And Bill Clinton was, I thought, (laughs) a better choice than Bush. But I thought, you know, it's time maybe we get somebody else in there that can kind of shake things up a little bit and maybe get things straightened out. which allows me to understand how some folks who voted for Trump came to support him. The only exception is Trump was more of a known entity when he ran for president back in 2016. People knew who Ross Perot was, but he had not been in the media for as long. He hadn't been a television star, if you want to call Trump a television star but I mean at the point that Trump was running for president he all he had already had multiple failed businesses he had already had multiple bankruptcies where he discharged money and screwed a bunch of people that invested money in in these things that he wanted to to do he always seemed to come out ahead um The multiple marriages, adultery, uh, the fact that he was just very, just had an ego bigger than the universe, it seemed like. So people kind of knew that this guy was a little bit of a flim flam man. We didn't know how much at that point, but it came to light pretty quickly. And just the fact that during the campaign, he was making racial remarks and showed that he had no respect for women. Perot didn't do any of that stuff. So anyway, that was my first uh, um, attempt at electing someone that I can recall, As I voted for Ross Perot. And, of course, Bill Clinton won, and I was I was happy with that. I was okay with that. I was glad that Bush lost because I had had enough of the Bushes at that point. And so we had eight years of Clinton. And honestly, Bill was a little too corporate for me, a little bit too moderate. Uh, I didn't think that the don't ask, don't tell thing was very smart. He passed some things that were good, but he passed some things that were not so hot as well, including some of the banking stuff that would later come to haunt us. And, of course, the uh, Republicans doing investigations after investigation after investigation, and what was it, Whitewater, and the Clinton aide, he mysteriously died in a plane crash, and Hillary tried to uh, roll out health care which they didn't like because, well, she was a woman. Who does she think she is? She ought to remember her place, right? And so they, but they were okay. And yeah, I know that Clinton lied. But the bottom line is Monica was a consenting adult. And I think Clinton should have just said, yeah, I... Made a mistake. I did kind of cheat on Hillary, but you know what? That's a personal issue, and it's between Hillary and me, and y'all just need to butt out. And I would have just left it at that. And bottom line is, (laughs) Donald Trump is now on marriage number three, and Clintons, for better or for worse, are still married. So you got to give them points for that. At least they have so far kept that for better or for worse thing, right? Can't say that about Trump. So then we get into the campaign for 2000. And it's Al Gore who was... Uh, Bill Clinton's vice president for eight years. And as if we haven't had enough Bushes already at this point, baby Bush, George W. Bush, the former governor of Texas, the guy who had uh, an oil company in Texas that he couldn't find oil in the state of Texas, and it failed. And he sold a bunch of his stock in his own company A couple of weeks before they announced really bad earnings, which sure seems like insider trading to me, but hmm, nope. (laughs) Nope. So, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't like Bush. I thought he was smug and I didn't think he was very intelligent. I remember seeing him on. Good Morning America, which was a TV show that I didn't normally watch in the morning if I watched a morning news type show I usually had uh, would watch today on NBC, but for some reason, one particular morning, the television was on ABC, and I believe it was Diane Sawyer, I can't be sure, but he was the, George W. Bush was being interviewed on his campaign bus by a woman and I think it was Diane Sawyer. And they were sitting at a table in front of a big window and you could see the scenery fly by outside of the window. And she was talking to him about current events and world leaders and issues. And more often than not, he either didn't answer the question or his answer didn't really make sense. Or he just didn't know. He didn't know who some of the world leaders were. There were were some basic things that I thought, oh my gosh, this guy is an idiot. And I decided right then and there on the spot that he would never be president because he was too stupid. (laughs) Well, we know how that turned out, don't we? And if you want to talk about the first time that we had a rigged election, in the United States. It wasn't 2016, although we know that the Russians helped Trump in 2016. It wasn't 2020 because we know that there wasn't any rigging, but there sure was some rigging in twenty and 2000, wasn't there? Yeah, that's when the Supreme Court got involved and said, you know what, don't base any future decisions or legal things on this decision, but we're going to interject ourselves into a state issue and stop this election thing right now and and Bush is just going to be president. (laughs) And of course, now that the ballots have been counted, we now know that Al Gore actually did win 2000, but he didn't deny that, uh, He had lost. He didn't scream that the election had been rigged. Uh, His supporters, the Democrats, didn't go uh, urinate on the walls of the Capitol or beat police officers on the Capitol grounds. You know, basically have an insurrection. (laughs) That's a contrast between the two parties. And so Bush becomes president, and I thought, oh my gosh, what the heck is wrong with people to vote for this idiot? And of course, first thing he's gonna do is cut taxes for the mostly for the wealthy. And then the next thing he does is he ignores a presidential daily briefing that advised that the group known as Al Qaeda was determined to strike the United States of America on our own soil using commercial aircraft, crashing them into buildings. And what did George Bush do? The Republican, you know, the Republicans who are strong on defense. You're safer with Republicans. Why? Well, they've been telling us that for years. Bush did nothing while he was on vacation. The excuse was that they thought that that was an old advisory that they were just kind of making sure that they knew about. Wouldn't you think that would be something you might want to check for sure? Say, so what is exactly what's going on with this thing here? They didn't. And a month later, we had airplanes crashing into the World Trade Center towers and airplanes crashing into the Pentagon, although some people denied that really happened they think it was a missile maybe it was a jewish space laser from outer space <laughs> um and then of course the the plane that, that that crashed uh that they think was probably headed toward washington dc I, I was at the white house maybe or not sure where that i don't remember where that one was headed but the passengers on that plane decided that they were not going to allow the terrorists to do whatever it was that they were planning to do. And so they intervened. They're all heroes. They'll all be remembered forever. I lost a friend in World Trade Center One. He was a fireman. I wasn't aware that he was in the building until long after that. And I blame Bush. He should have known better. He should have done something. And then we start a war. We go after Iraq. Was it because Iraq attacked us on 9-11? Well, they didn't and the people who were the terrorists were all from saudi arabia but we didn't go after saudi arabia because they're buds with the bushes (laughs) and we were told that saddam hussein had weapons of mass destruction and was determined to strike the united states which is not true and it cost trillions of dollars hundreds of thousands of lives were lost we're not sure how many because well You know, a lot of people that didn't have white skin died and, yeah, you know, we're not going to count them, right? So at that point, and I remember seeing both President Bush and Vice President Cheney and Secretary of State Condi Rice and Donald Rumsfeld, who was the Secretary of Defense remember seeing all of them on TV yakking, yakking, yakking about weapons of mass destruction and terrorism. And, and this was after we already knew that that wasn't true. We knew that there were no weapons of mass destruction, but they were lying about it. And I thought, here we are again. We had a rigged election that favored the Republicans Worst terrorist attack in the history of our country, again, thanks to Republicans. This guy is corrupt, started a war. (laughs) I just thought, the Republican Party is repulsive. And then we had the outing of the CIA agent, Valerie Plain. And she was a covert agent, and she was in a critical position And by outing her, they exposed a whole bunch of people to violence or death. And I thought, what the heck is going on? And then, of course, we had Bush, who (laughs) didn't serve his country when he was uh, supposed to, appearing on a ship. Wearing full military stuff, you know. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Apparently, that was also a crime, staging a political event like that. Because mission, as we know, was not accomplished at that point. It's another lie. And I just thought... I cannot stand these people. This is this is a this is a bad organization. So I changed my party affiliation to Democrat because I wanted to be as far opposed to the Republicans as you could possibly get. I just thought they were offensive. And I remember having a conversation with my dad and I just said, you know, These these people are a bunch of crooks. Why are you supporting them? Well, you know, I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I said, Dad, that doesn't make any sense at all. I think you're brainwashed. Told another member of my family that I thought they must have a brain tumor to be that stupid because they believed these stupid things. Anyway. Um... So, we know how the Bush stuff turned out, the torture, uh, the war crimes, uh, you know, just again, the flagrant disobedience of laws, respect for the, the disrespect for the Constitution, the disrespect for the American people, I just found it to be incredibly offensive. And then things began to turn around. America elected the first black president with Barack Obama. And that's when the trouble really started because you know what? The folks who were on the right, the Christians, the people who stood up for family values and high morals and people of good character had this little problem with racism. They'd always had the problem, but they kind of buried it for a while because it was kind of considered unacceptable. But now that America had taken a step too far by electing a black man as a president, they just couldn't handle it anymore. So on the night of... President Obama's inauguration, top Republicans got together at a restaurant in Georgetown in Washington, D.C., and decided that their main focus going forward wasn't going to be putting people back to work. Don't forget, we were in the middle of the Great Recession. Another little gift that the Republicans and the Bushes gave to America. We were losing 800,000 jobs a month. Wall Street had done some things that they should not have done, and it caused the economy to crash. And people lost their jobs. And in order to pay for houses that sometimes were not worth what they were, what people owed on them. Uh, People were having to wipe out their 401ks and their savings and all of that. And then to add insult to injury, the very same bank that caused the Great Recession, the very same bank that caused people to lose their jobs, then turned around and foreclosed on their homes because of what the bank did. And if Obama did anything wrong, in my opinion, that was where he really messed up. I think that they should have put a moratorium on foreclosures because, after all, the banks were responsible for the mess. I think that they should have passed legislation that said, because you, Bank Chase or Bank of America or whatever, were involved in this economic collapse. And because this these people lost their jobs because of that and haven't paid their mortgage, number one, you need to lower the amount owed down to a market value or to restore whatever equity they may have had prior to the collapse. And you cannot collect late fees or anything else. And you have to lower the interest and all of that and help these people get back on their feet again because, after all, you're responsible. They didn't do that. And I had a problem with that. And I didn't like the fact that when they started looking at health care that they announced from the very beginning that a public option was off the table. Well, (laughs) when you undertake something like that, you don't start off by saying one of the options is off the table at the very beginning. So I had a problem with that. And I had a problem with the fact that Obama seemed to not understand that the Republicans weren't working with him at all. They changed the Affordable Care Act when they were writing the legislation, they changed it over and over and over and over again and made it less effective in an attempt to get some Republican support. And even though they changed it to do what the Republicans asked, they still didn't get any Republican support when it came time to vote for the bill. So once again, another gift to America from the Republican Party. So... I wasn't as thrilled with Obama as I had hoped because I felt he was too conservative. But even though he wasn't the wild liberal that the folks on the right would have had America believe at the time, they still had a problem with him because of his skin color. I remember somebody telling me Well, Andy, they call it the White House for a reason. (laughs) Apparently, black families were not supposed to ever live in the White House. So racism became a big thing. And I think that that was partly responsible for Trump. Because Trump didn't do much to hide the fact that he was a racist. And he had a history of racism in his family business. And I think that that was part of the reason why he got elected. That and the fact that uh, the Electoral College is skewed to favor Republicans. So that is how I came to be a Democrat and hold the beliefs that I currently hold today. That's how I came to be a Democrat. And this is despite having people in my life that I admired and respected and looked up to who were Republicans, but it was through personal observation, and I think I have a pretty good sense of right and wrong, and I think my morals and my values are pretty good. I don't think that they're perfect. I don't think anybody's really are but I've learned and I've grown and I've tried to change to become a better person as I have gotten older and have been exposed to new things. And all of this led me to this podcast because it is a way to get my voice out there. I don't feel that I carry more weight than anybody else. I don't I really carry as much weight as some, but I felt like there was a opening, there was a place for a podcast that was created by someone who did not have a history of being a politician or a prosecutor or a lawyer or a former politician or something like that. Just an ordinary American who has suffered the highs and the lows of life and has watched things unfold where they felt like they didn't have any control over them. And the coming to the realization that if you don't vote, and if you don't get involved, you really don't have, well, you have a right to complain, but you're really not doing everything you should do. And most of all, the the fact that there have been so many gun deaths in this country, and I still remember the night that my mother was killed, just as if it happened last night and every time there is gun violence in the news i remember that night and there wasn't anybody else around that saw what i saw that night other than the murderer and that the person who killed my mother is is dead now But I was the last person in my family to see my mother alive. I was the last person to talk to her. I was the first person to see what actually happened to her. I appeared on the scene moments after she was killed. And then I was the one who had to confront the murderer and realize when he turned the gun on me that my life was in danger and so was the life of my younger brother who was upstairs in his bedroom sleeping and i'm convinced that if i had not acted the way i did that night that there's a good chance that my brother and i would have probably been killed that night as well because we were the only two potential witnesses And if he had killed us, then he very well could have gotten away with it, I guess. It's hard hard to know. But as I said, that's another story, but it did have a huge impact on my life and it continues to impact my life today. And I realized that if I didn't speak up for my mother, nobody else would. And this is one of the ways that I am doing that. Because she had a right to live her life. And in my opinion, the right to life is the supreme right, it is above all other rights. Because you have to be alive to have liberty. You have to be alive to pursue happiness. You have to be alive to have free speech or bear arms. All of these other rights are dependent upon life. And it's time as a, that as a country, supposedly a Christian nation, which we're not, we're not supposed to be and we're not, even if, even if we were supposed to be, we're still not a Christian nation. Because we don't follow we don't follow Jesus in this country, we don't, and the people who think that we do are wrong, and they need to wake up so that's why I'm doing this podcast. I am doing it for my mother, who I still think of every day and I miss very much, and I'm doing it for all of the other people who have had something happen in their lives similar to what I've been through, who for whatever reason can't speak up or don't speak up. So that's why I'm doing this. And I very much appreciate your time. I know that there are lots of podcasts out there that you can listen to. And I know there are a lot of them that are better than mine. But I'm putting a lot of effort into this one. I hope to get better. But I put my heart in it. I it's it, it the things that I say are important to me. I may not say them in the best way every time. But again, it's a learning experience, and I will grow and I will get better. And that's all I can promise you. But again. Thank you for sticking with me. The first podcast was published on March 31st, 2022, so it hasn't even been a year yet. And the number one podcast that uh, I published was Politics, Money in Politics was the name of the podcast. And that was... What I felt was one of the main problems in our country today is the fact that we have a system that allows politicians to be bought. And I think that's wrong. And that goes back to the Supreme Court. And I talked about those decisions in depth. In my first few episodes, I really focused on the money and the politics and the different types of government and and things like that and spent a great deal of time on all of that. And the most popular um, podcast that has been recorded, uh, if I remember correctly, was, let me look here and I can tell you. Quickly, the, uh, the podcast that has had the most listenings, most uh, plays, was number 31, and it was titled The GOP CPAC and Their Love of Victor Orban, and that was published on November sixth, twenty 2022, and that's just had a ton of listens. I'm not really sure why, but it has. And I will just tell you, I'm humbled and pleasantly surprised and kind of a little shocked that I have people all over the world listening to my podcasts. Most are from the United States, of course. And followed by the United States, I have listeners in the United Kingdom, Canada, Spain, Mexico, India, Hungary, Italy, and then there's a whole bunch of other places like Saba, (laughs) Bonaire, Sint, Eustatius, and Saba, (laughs) and a bunch of other places, and I'm sure that there probably aren't a lot of listeners in those places, but it's kind of interesting to see them pop up in the uh, geographic location stats. What a shock. Most of the folks who listen to my podcast listen through Anchor, which is a subsidiary of Spotify, and Anchor is the platform that I publish my podcast through, and a lot of the links that I put on uh, Twitter are from Anchor. Overcast is the next. Uh, Pocketcasts, web browser, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. And then there's a whole bunch of others that have, you know, kind of hit and miss. And most of the people who listen to my podcast are female. They're the majority. So I guess that makes sense. And I'm happy to say that the age group is 18 to 22 is the most predominant age group listening to My podcast, which I am thrilled because they are the folks who are going to inherit this mess that we have. And hopefully, we can work with them and they will work with us so that we can make the world a better place, a safer place for them when they get to be middle aged and elderly and they have kids and grandkids to worry about. Hopefully, the climate will not have collapsed on them and hopefully we will still have a democracy in the United States and we will have set a precedent that even the president of the United States cannot commit crimes, cannot lie to the American people and get away with it. That is my hope and I also very dearly hope that we get some common sense gun regulations in this country because the second amendment, where it says a well-regulated militia, that is there for a reason. And in my opinion, it's not an option. And we've gotta get the money out of politics because the gun industry has dumped a ton of money in people's bank accounts to make sure that we are flooded with guns in this country and we see what the result is. Why does that surprise anybody? At any rate, I'm over time. I was trying to keep this under an hour and I haven't done that. And I apologize for that. The other podcast that I have recorded, I'm not finished with it. But I may finish it up at some point and it tells a little bit more about me a little more in depth. But it's <laughs> I think it's going to end up being like three episodes and they're probably going to be a little over an hour each. And I'm not really sure that anybody's going to care that much. But I'll see. And if you have an opinion about it one way or the other, let me know. And if I do publish them, I'll probably just do it as a as bonus episodes. So And I'll clearly mark it that it's the extended version of an About Me so that people don't listen to it if they don't care. And that's fine. I hope you have a great day. Again, thank you very, very much for all of your time. I know that time is like the most precious thing any of us have. And I very much appreciate you spending your time with me. Hope you have a great day, unless you have other plans. Thank you for listening. I would be grateful to you if you'd subscribe and share this podcast to let your friends and family know about it. You can also find me on Twitter at FederalAndy, and I'd be really grateful if you would follow me. I usually follow back. Be happy, safe, and healthy, and I'll hopefully be talking to you again next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.